0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
1: It began with an allegation that sounds just too ugly to believe. Except, of course, that similar allegations in the past have proven true.
2: A former judge was asked to investigate after BC hospital staff were accused of playing a game which involved guessing the blood alcohol content of Indigenous patients.
1: As you might expect, this allegation sparked a province-wide investigation into racism in British Columbia's healthcare system. As you also may expect, that investigation found racism. And when the full results and recommendations were revealed last week, it became clear that the problem was far more complex than hospital staff playing a racist game while treating Indigenous patients. In fact, that particular allegation might never have happened. So changes need to be made, and complex problems require complex solutions. And now this is where a lot of folks who have spent any time covering politics or racism in B.C. will nod, in recognition of having heard this before. This time, though, the province has vowed to begin an overhaul of the system that allows this racism to flourish. The government has already apologized and are in the process of taking at least the first concrete steps— down what is sure to be a long road. Here's my question though. Should we believe them this time? What is in this report that's different from other reports? How does a long list of recommendations become a long list of actual structural changes? And how long should that take for a system that is right now in the middle of two separate emergencies? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Lisa Yuzda is the legislative reporter in British Columbia for both News 1130 and City News Vancouver. Hello, Lisa.
2: Hello. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, Maybe to start, before we get into the substance of the report and and what it found, um, can you describe for me uh, the allegations that sparked this, that started the investigation?
2: So this all started in June of this year. And I remember it got everybody's heart beating when we heard that there was, I seem to remember that it was rather like not an emergency, but an urgent press conference being called by our health minister, which, of course, in the time of pandemics, you never know quite what that means. And then we learned about that it was, they call it a game. I mean, because there's no other word for it. But there were allegations of this game being played in hospitals here in British Columbia, a sick game called, essentially they said it was called like the price is right. And what it entailed allegedly was people going to get care in the hospital, people who first nations indigenous and hearing that a game was being played. And I guess, and also indeed staff who were working at the hospitals, a game being played where they would sort of guess the alcohol content uh, of someone's blood. And so that's what led to all of this is those allegations of this sick game of guessing blood alcohol levels of First Nations people in hospitals here. And the health minister or British Columbia's health minister, Adrian Dix, appointed Mary Ellen Terpel-Lafond, who is widely respected here. She was the children and youth advocate for many years and uh, brought her in as an independent uh, investigator.
1: So what did the investigation seek to find? Because I gather that, you know, while these allegations sparked it, um, it wasn't an investigation into this specific incident.
2: It it was an investigation to see what, you you know, what the situation, I mean, obviously we know there's racism. Racism is rampant in Canada. I think we often try to, you know, think that we're not as bad as other countries like the United States, but of course it's terrible. And so it was, she was looking to see what, the situation is, you know, that sparked it, but looking to see what the situation is as far as racism people are facing in health care here in British Columbia. And that led the investigation to hearing from 9,000 different people in various ways, vast majority via a survey that they gave both to individuals and people working in the healthcare system, and also 600 calls and emails from people. And then they did, of those, they boiled it down to 150 people that they sat and did in depth interviews with, and ultimately did not find evidence of this particular. Game, as it were. Apparently, there is something that healthcare workers do that they have to try and assess blood alcohol level if someone is coming in. So there's there's some basis behind that. Um, but they did find, of course, not that specifically, but broader systemic issues of racism in our healthcare system.
1: Can you give me a sense of what that refers to um, in terms of you know quality of care or? Uh, actual outspoken racism or what kinds uh, of racism are we talking about?
2: Well, it, it depended on the person. And what was interesting is there was a couple things that were interesting is, is people feeling like they weren't going to get appropriate care. So either not going for help themselves. One that really stood out to me was a doctor that they spoke with. This doctor saying that they had been told, um, you know, when someone would come in, go look after your drunk relative when someone First Nations would come in. And this, this, medical healthcare professional themselves not feeling like they could go get appropriate care for serious issues if they needed it. So the, someone who worked in healthcare who's First Nations not feeling that they could trust the healthcare system to take care of them appropriately. So there was a number of different things that people found. It was either hearing racist things when they were in there, you know, being talked down to, uh, being, you know, stereotypes being accused of being drunk when there may have been other issues, you know, going on. In the responses they got, the other thing that I remember, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but in describing racist situations that had happened, there was like around 10%, 10, 15% of the respondents who worked in healthcare being racist in their responses to this survey wow. which is shocking to me that you know they're asking about racism and, and the language that they were using the way they were speaking was in fact racist like using stereotypes saying well, you know the the, the stereotypes that, that that cause harm using those stereotypes in describing what's happening So that that really stood out to me as you know just so indicative of how pervasive the problem is and how devastating it is.
1: It's a pretty stark, Report um, with some pretty stark conclusions, what happened uh, last week when uh, it was made public and first of all were we were we expecting this at this time? is this something people had been waiting yeah. for um, and, and and so it was we were preparing in advance and, and getting ready to hear the results. Do you think people were expecting uh, this level of condemnation
2: I, I I don't know I think people were surprised that they didn't find examples of the specific um, situation that led to it. I don't know. that is anyone really surprised that there's pervasive racism anywhere in our country, especially if you're First Nations? I don't know. I, I would be surprised that someone was surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that Mary Ellen Turpel-Lafon made in the report is that like this isn't the first time this has been talked about. It's not the first time that there have been recommendations made for change, and it's not, you know, hopefully it'll be the last time and that changes will actually happen. Our um, health minister came out immediately and unequivocally apologized for this. One of the changes that he made was putting a specific health officer responsible for the issue of health care for First Nations, for dealing with issues of racism in health care in each of our five health authorities that we have here in British Columbia. But, you know, it remains to be seen because, it, you know, we have heard these reports, whether here in British Columbia, nationally, in different provinces, it's hard, it's difficult to change. It's difficult to change people's um, internal biases. But one of the things that they did talk about is there is in the, the the health authority in Metro Vancouver, in Vancouver proper, Mary Ellen Terpelafon talked about the work that had been done in one of the hospitals there that she's hoping that the model that they have in that particular hospital um, it's one in downtown Vancouver, will be carried into other health authorities, other hospitals. that is very good and, and held up as an example for how to...
1: What's different uh, about it?
2: It just, just it, the way it very specifically acknowledges and details how people are, I, I guess, how their their biases and how to get past them and how to put processes in place to ensure or to ensure as best they can... To make sure that, that people's biases are not part of decisions that are being made, and cultural sensitivity, dealing with you know, issues that face indigenous people and cultural sensitivities to make sure that you're meeting someone where they are.
1: You mentioned that um, we've seen, sadly, reports like these before or, or heard uh, allegations of this kind of racism, not only in healthcare, but in, in lots of uh, institutions in this country. As somebody that's covered, uh, you know, B.C. for a while, um, are you optimistic that things are different this time? Um, Does this report have any teeth to it or is it all about like in good faith we have to make changes now?
2: I think that there is a legitimate desire from the government that's in place right now here in British Columbia, the NDP government, to make these changes. I think what's different now is perhaps where the world is at with facing inequality Am I optimistic? I don't know. I don't know. I think it I think it is very hard to change. But I think that there is I think where the world is at right now is perhaps different that maybe has a better chance for it to change than it might otherwise. (laughs) That doesn't sound very optimistic what I'm saying. I don't know. Not really. No, but
1: somebody who's covered this for a while, you've earned the right, I think, probably to be a little cynical.
2: Yeah, but also Mary Ellen Terpela-Fond. I'm not you know, and it's not even me that's cynical. I mean, when you look at the the experiences that people have, I mean you find, you know, the people who are actually working in the field of healthcare care don't trust the field of healthcare. care, like thirteen percent are are feeling like they don't trust the care that they would get if they went in for emergency help or help in the healthcare system. It's it's hard to feel optimistic. I mean, these these racist views, these biases, this poor treatment was not built in a day and, and I just don't know how how you, you get rid of it in a day or a month or a year. Mary Ellen trapella is quite the force to be reckoned with. So, you know, I I don't think this is something she's going to let go. So that's certainly in the favour of change. And again, I think this uh, provincial government has spoken very much about equality and wanting to change the way things have been for you know, people who across the board, but specifically for First Nations, Indigenous people. So that sort of, I think, lends itself to think that there will be more um, intent behind wanting to change. How easy it is to do within these massive systems remains to be seen and, and how much, you know, time and effort. We're in a pandemic, so it's certainly not the best time to try and put a ton of, you know, time and effort into an already incredibly strained system.
0: Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
1: What are the specific uh, recommendations in the report? I think you mentioned the top-line one, uh, which is uh, individual sort of, I don't want to call them watchdogs, but uh, folks who can advocate for change uh, within each health unit. Um, What else needs to be done?
2: So, she made 24 recommendations overall. The first is that the government apologize. And so the, the health minister has done one, but they would also like uh, apologies done, you know, within each region. Because, of course, things are different. Working with First Nations people, the indigenous um, the First Nations governments and health authorities around the province to work on anti-racism Um, And cultural safety. So, you know, they want an anti-racism act. So that really puts into legislation that people need to function on this. There's a number of different legislations, a lot of recommendations, a lot of it deals with working the government and First Nations bodies working together to establish what is clear uh, for people for better whistleblower protection for people who come forward from within the healthcare system. Right now, they're not included in legislation, you know, whistleblower protection here. So they want that specifically to be included and around that there's a number of recommendations allowing people to speak up more easily to speak up and speak out about what's happening to them or what they're seeing on the front lines of every level of healthcare they all basically, the universities and college degrees have special programs that we develop for health practitioners that have components around Indigenous-specific racism and you know informing them of issues culturally in our history that will adversely affect people when they're coming into a healthcare yeah. system. So there's a number that revolve around, and they're heady. And this is why when you're saying... You know, it's not like you just change this form in a hospital and this problem is going to be solved. There are a lot of systemic changes changes that will be needed at various levels, working in conjunction with First Nations, governments and associations around the province to try and integrate this and make it a systemic acceptance versus systemic racism.
1: What about um, hospitals themselves or organizations that represent medical workers in B.C.? Um, Do they accept this? Are they they disputing it?
2: I don't think anybody can – Jordan, like I don't think anybody can deny that there's an issue. I I think it's just how do we get to solutions. I don't know that anyone has ever denied there's an issue. It's just – it's the getting to solutions. So, no, I I think everybody is on board – Of course, the the proof is going to be in the pudding and the proof is going to be in what the solutions are and how you get to the solutions and how you afford the solutions and how you roll out the solutions and it's human beings that you're dealing with. And, you know, how do we change the way human beings think that are built on how they've been taught their whole lives? But I think it it also is going to be being harder on. And that was one of the issues and I can't uh, the the recommendations and I can't find it particularly in there right now. But, you know, I, I don't know, zero tolerance, but a much lower tolerance for Um, this behavior within the system for people who are behaving racist, who are saying horrible things, who are treating people differently when they come in for care, having a much lower level of tolerance for, you know, obviously you want to try fixing the problem first, but then, you know, getting to the numb of it and not letting it keep getting passed down has often happens. And, you know, people get their hands slapped for behaving terribly, but then are allowed to continue working. And then it happens again, you know, to, to try and stop that, and and get rid of people who are resistant to change or unable to change,
1: well, yeah, and it's such a a monumental task. And this is kind of why uh, we wanted to talk to you, uh, somebody who's actually, you know, covered the legislature and how things change in process, because I think everybody would admit. That there's been a problem. To your point, even the hospitals themselves admit there's been a problem. The government is willing to change. We have an example of what works. Um, you know, the First Nations communities are saying, "Okay, well, we're waiting to see. This is good." Like, what's the first concrete step that needs to be taken so that the other steps can follow? And I'm not talking about acknowledging this or promising that. Uh, you know, what does the government have to do to put down on paper, or put down in law, to get this thing moving?
2: I don't actually know the answer to that. I know the first step is putting in these health officers to look for, um, you know, to, to be watchdogs of what needs to happen. I, I think, you know, like many provinces in Canada, they're broad, and I don't know that it's going to be a one-size-fits-all all the way across. And so I don't I, 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 don't know that I can tell you exactly what the first specific step is. I know the first specific step, steps that the province took were the apology by our health minister and putting these five officers in place in the health authorities to look at what's next.
1: I'm just always fascinated by how this gigantic set of policy recommendations can actually be translated into, you know, first this action, then the next, then another step, and then maybe we change something, Um, as opposed to staring at it and being like, yeah, the whole system needs to be fixed. Uh, Okay.
2: But I think what it comes down to, like if I'm looking at it and I'm and I'm putting the nub on it, what it comes down to is changing people's attitudes. That's not simple, but it is the basics of training, like talking to people about when you say this, this is how it affects this person. And again, going back to the people who responded using racism when talking about racism, you know, we're all products of how we've been raised and what we've been taught. And those teachings vary wildly. And so we need within the healthcare system, and that can that doesn't seem that hugely challenging. I mean, I guess it's the messaging, but it doesn't seem that hugely challenging. You know when you're onboarding doctors, nurses, um, both in education systems and in their workplaces, to be like, "Hey, these are the things you need to know." This, you know, we do that with in in our organization. These are the things you need to know about. You can't talk to people like this. This is harassment in the workplace. Like those are pretty basic things that you can teach. And if you, I think if you put those down on paper and put those down in an education system, then you can hold people to it. So. That seems like, although not a drop in the bucket, but a pretty doable first step to make sure. And, and you know, one of the things I'm just looking here at what the hospital employees union says is looking at that there's zero tolerance for racism in the workplace. You know, I think we've gotten there pretty well across the board in our society Are getting there better with things like sexism. And so we just need to get to that place that you don't laugh it off. You are able to speak up without worrying about being, chastised or uh, reprimanded or losing status at work because you, sta- you know, stand up and say, if you're a nurse in an operating room to a doctor, you can't say that. So things like that seem relatively doable, as long as the the powers that be, the, which would be the hospitals, the unions, the government itself, to, to stand behind people who are willing to do that. Because that seems like the basic first step across the board, bullying, sexism, racism, calling it out. And so when you have the nurses union saying that they want to have a zero tolerance policy, then I, I think that, you know, and we have a government saying that we want a zero tolerance policy. So it seems like that's a good place to start.
1: I will be super interested uh, to check in with you, let's say six months from now and see if anything has been done or if it's been pushed on the back burner of the pandemic and opioid crisis.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it, it, it's difficult, but you just think about when you know that the people who are you know, suffering the most from both of the pandemic and the epidemic are people who are also, you know, at the brunt end of this brutal, you know, of, of the brutality of racism that it just seems like it's pretty binary that that needs to be done. And it can be done.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. Thank you so much, Lisa.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Jordan.
1: Lisa Yuzda of News 1130 and City News Vancouver. That was the Big Story. If you'd like more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Of course, you can email us. We are at TheBigStoryPodcast. That is all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. As always, the list continues. We are in your favorite podcast player. That could be Apple or Google or Stitcher or Spotify. You can choose. Go off the map. We don't care. Just listen to us. And if your podcast player allows it, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and wherever you go, whenever you talk podcasts tell your friends about this show. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.